Gracious God, shine your light on our darkness so that your word may direct our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Emmanuel. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome. This is the Word of God for the people of God. If you have been keeping up with us, you will know that we are on the third leg of our holiday home tour today, visiting John's house. We have been stopping by each of the four Gospels and exploring the way that each of them tells the Christmas story. First, we visited Mark's house. Mark's house is smaller than the rest. It's strictly functional. There's no outward sign of Christmas anywhere in sight. No tree, no lights, no wreath, no shepherds, no sheep, not even a baby. Because in Mark's gospel, he's worried less about where Jesus is born and more about where he can be found today. After Mark, we visited Matthew. Matthew's house is an honest-to-goodness mansion, and it has to be because in Matthew's house, the Christmas story starts with an enormous family reunion, and absolutely everyone is invited. There has to be more than enough room for them all. And today we're visiting John's house. Now, on Christmas Eve, a word of clarification, on Christmas Eve at our evening services, we'll visit Luke's house. After that, well, I think the entire point of Christmas is that after Christmas Eve, Jesus will have come to reside with us. So after Christmas Eve, Jesus will be at your house, and you will have to decide, you will have to choose how you will tell the story from that point on. But for today, we're visiting John. John's house is a little bit harder to find than all the others. It's set back from the road a bit, enough so that he has set out luminaries along the path to light the way so you don't get lost in the darkness. Inside each room is lit with a candle, just one candle, but by the light of those candles, you can see piles of books stacked up in every corner, and not a single one of those books is dusty because they aren't for show. John actually reads them over and over again. In the fireplace, there's a fire that's in the living room, and there's two rocking chairs pulled up in front of it because the only thing John loves better than reading a good story is telling a good story. So John's house invites you to sit down and stay for a while, especially at Christmas. In the beginning, John says, and for a moment, it's not clear actually whether he's telling us a new story or reading us an old story, because in the beginning, well, that's the way creation begins. That's how the book of Genesis begins, telling us about the heavens and the earth. But then John continues, in the beginning was the word, he says. 
which means before you and me, before plants and animals, before land and sea, before sun and moon and stars of night, before light and darkness even, in the beginning, before there was anything else, John says, there was God. And you can't tell the story of Christmas without going back that far because the first words that God ever spoke were let there be light. And that's what Christmas is about at John's house. The light that has always gone before us. The light shines in the darkness, John says, and the darkness did not overcome it. One of my favorite things to do at this time of year is to go out on a walk after night has fallen and enjoy all of the Christmas lights that people have put up. Immediately adjacent to my church in Kansas City was a neighborhood called Mission Hills, and I would often end my days by strolling up and down streets in Mission Hills before heading home. And I will never forget this one house in particular. It was tucked at the back of the neighborhood, and they only put lights on one tree. And it was actually a pretty small tree. So I could only assume that every strand of lights they had ever owned was put on that tree. And I could only assume that every year Target and Walmart and Amazon were cleared out and the entire contents put on that tree as well. Every color of light imaginable, every shape you could associate with Christmas and a few you could not, no matter how good your imagination, was wrapped around those branches. It was as if Clark Griswold put all his attention on one seven-foot tree. It was an assault upon the human eye. It was actually too much. You really wanted sunglasses when you walked down that street, even in the middle of the night. I remember telling a friend, if John had seen this house when writing his gospel, he would have said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> the light shines in the darkness and the darkness utterly ceases to exist. <laughs> the truth is, I wish that John had written it that way. Because honestly, that's the kind of world I would like to live in. A world in which every sadness, every despair, every heartbreak, every raw deal, every evil agenda, every painful, debilitating disease completely and utterly ceased to exist. But John doesn't write it that way because John is committed to writing the truth. The truth about the world and the truth about God. And the light that John writes about is painfully modest. The light John writes about dances on a wick, ever aware that there are threats all around. And it seems most days like it wouldn't take all that much to extinguish it entirely. A glance at the headlines this morning an awareness of what's going on in the day-to-day -day lives of just about anyone seated in this room, a reminder of unrest enveloping far too much of the world, or a courageous but honest assessment of our own lives. That is all it takes 
to know that the story John tells is trustworthy. The light is there, but so too is everything that threatens it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. I was trying to teach a seminary intern one time about the importance of accompanying people through grief, about sitting with them when life just felt too hard for whatever reason. His heart was in the right place, but all he wanted to do was fix everything. He wanted to be that tree back in Kansas City, bringing in so much light, everything else would have to fall away. He thought if you just had enough reason for joy, you could probably forget about your sorrow. And we talked about it until I had used up every word I'd ever had, and it still didn't get through. So I resorted to desperate measures. We went into the basement of the church where there were no windows. And we sat in the darkness. And once his eyes had adjusted, I stood across the room and I held a flashlight. I turned it on and I aimed it directly in his eyes. And he yelled and asked me what on earth I was doing and covered his eyes. And I said, let's do it one more time. And we waited, it took even longer this time, but we waited for his eyes to adjust again. And then I turned the flashlight on again. But this time I did it standing next to him and I aimed the flashlight a few feet in front of him. Oh, he said. Because sometimes when we are in the midst of deep darkness, the most healing and most helpful light is that which comes up alongside of us in a measure we can actually handle. Now that is counterintuitive to what we might think we want, but it honors what we need and it meets us where we are. And that just so happens to be the definition of incarnation. The light that John tells us about, the light of the world that comes to us at Christmas, it is not a light that stands at a distance or harshly illuminates everything about us. It's a light that refuses distance. It's a light that climbs into the darkest places with us and lights a single candle and promises to stay with us always. That candle... It's the same candle that's in each room of John's house. And it's the same candle we lit today, the candle of love. Because that's what John has always wanted us to know. The light that he keeps talking about, it will keep shining because it's fueled by nothing less than the love of God. And the love of God, you've heard me say this before, it does not give up. And the love of God does not let go. This is part of our benediction each week. It is the love of God that gathers us into this time and space together. And it is the love of God that sends us out after. It is the love of God that brings us into this world. And it is the love of God that is with us when we leave this world. It is the love of God that began this entire world, and it is the love of God that stays with this world. 
which means that not for one second, not for one fraction of one second, will the love of God ever leave you alone. It stays with us, and it shines just enough light that we can keep going, no matter what else is going on around us. It's light that leads us forward into whatever the future holds. That is the story of Christmas at John's house. It's a celebration of a story that began before time, and it's a story that will endure for all time. It's a story of a light shining in the darkness, and the darkness that will never, ever overcome it. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.